Welcome to Data Doyen. I'm Dr. Pauline Hoffman. I'm your podcast hostess. I'm joined by my producer, Mr. Bryce Murphy. Hello, everyone. Coming to you remotely, but are, is that a surprise? Or that should we <laughs> pretend that we're in the same room? We're doing it no. remote for the first time. Data Doyen. I know. All three are remote, and we'll tell you who the third is in a second. So welcome, Bryce. Also wrote and he recorded the podcast music. This podcast is for the data nerd and the data nervous. So welcome back to everybody. This week's theme is ransomware and cybersecurity, and our third person, we have a very special guest with us to help us understand these topics. So welcome to Dr. Hossein Sarvzadeh. Thank you, Dr. Hoffman. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hossein is a university distinguished professor and the director of the Center of Excellence in Cybersecurity Research, Education, and Outreach at the North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. And he's a former colleague of mine at St. Bonaventure. So when I was thinking about this topic, he was the first and only person I thought of uh, because he he knows all about cybersecurity, he knows all about ransomware, and uh, we know that this is a big deal. So we're going to hear more about that. We've recently heard Hussein, um, and we're very informal here, so you can call me Pauline, that's completely fine. We've heard about okay. several high profile and some pretty debilitating attacks, most notably or most recently, the Colonial Pipeline and then the JBS Meatpackers. So before we dig into some of those topics, though, we I think we should probably have a better understanding of exactly what's going on here. So can you explain for us what ransomware is, what malware is, what, what the issues are surrounding what's going on? Yes, uh, well, hackers have different aims and they implement those aims using different uh, means and ransomware is one of those. So <clears throat> the way ransomware works is that the hackers somehow uh, manage to get you to help them download something into your computer. And that something is called uh, badware or malware. And it's a piece of software, actually. It's code. And once activated, it gives control to the hackers, but it also does other things. One of the things that uh, ransomware does is to encrypt all of your data. And once they encrypt, then you can't uh, operate. So your system's shut down or you shut them down yourself because you found out through a ransom note that you've been hacked and uh, you have to shut down your machines to deal with the problem. Uh, so it's only one type of cyber attack that hackers use to gain access to your machine, to gain access to your data. Then they will ask you to pay uh, to have your uh, systems back up, which means they'll give you a key, you will decrypt your data and your systems can come back up. And that takes a while to do. The alternative would be for you to tell the hackers that you're not paying and you wanna do it yourself. And I've seen that happen and it takes a long time. Although it's a good thing to do not to pay the hackers, it is going to be causing you a lot of trouble. Like in the case of the Colonial Pipeline, there were lines at the petrol stations. I couldn't get petrol to drive to the university even during those times. 
Uh, I was in North Carolina and uh, it was a disastrous situation and it could be worse. Think of uh, a group of hackers doing this to multiple companies in, say, one state or across the country and having so many companies crippled by a ransomware attack. What kind of a chaos it would create, how damaging it'll be to the morale of the society, to our infrastructure. So ransomware can be quite dangerous. And ransomware is only one method of hacking. And hackers do not necessarily have uh, cybersecurity expertise as such because they rent their ransomware from someone who knows how to use it. So it gets very complicated. So anyone almost could, with a criminal mind, could go out and rent ransomware and use it against whatever company they wanted to. Now, the motives of the hackers could be different. Motives could be economical. So they could be asking for money. It could be uh, political. So enemies of the state could be trying to create chaos, create unsatisfaction within the public or have other aims. And these are all components of a cyber war when it comes to governments trying to do this. It could be both, you know, in cases, hackers could be asking for money, but there could be political motives behind them as well. And so this is in a nutshell what uh, ransomware is, how it takes place, what it does, and I can talk more about it as you ask questions. Well, I want to step back just a little bit because you made me think of a couple of other things too. You mentioned hacking and you mentioned, I think, well, I think in some of the reading I was doing, um, you know, phishing scams and phishing scandals and so on. So I started thinking, is this sort of the next level of cyber threat, if you will, because I, if, you know, if memory serves, you know, you'd have people who would hack into like your banking system or something, and they would take your social security number, which is not quite the same as then holding your banking facility hostage for money. So is this kind of the escalation or the evolution of cyber threats? Well, ransomware has become more popular because several companies uh, that have been hacked have had to pay. And those who haven't paid have suffered uh, quite a bit. We had uh, a hack in the health system of New Zealand recently, for example, and they haven't, you know, it's been a month since that happened and they haven't been able to recover because they decided to do the right thing and not to pay. So ransomware is just one way of hackers uh, achieving their goals, which is uh, to gain access to your computing facilities, your infrastructure, and then, achieving their goals through having access. So the hacker might be hacking an individual and they could use ransomware. They will want to that individual to pay them some money. They might be uh, looking to gain access to their bank account. So through hacking into their machine, they can gain access to their passwords. And they could be wanting to cause reputational damage. They could be looking for their photographs. 
that they don't want to reveal to the public. They might be looking for their relationships. And, you know, people don't want their relationships revealed. Uh, and so I, I would say this is the new normal. And there is not enough being done by governments, by companies, by individuals. We normally wait until we've been hacked, then we do something about it. And I think we should realize that we need to invest more in cybersecurity. Well, so so here's a question then. So this is, yeah. and, and I want to make sure I'm understanding this. So someone could hack into, let's say they hack into my bank account. Now they're not going to get far, but let's say they hack into my bank account. They could have access to whatever's in my bank account and then hold me ransom so that I don't get access unless I've paid. So it's my bank account plus a ransom, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In the simplistic well, term. I mean, hackers have their own principles, actually. So when they hold you at ransom, they don't. Uh, they normally don't uh, go after your bank account. So that's. Well, oh, I'm glad to know we there, have principles. Some code of ethics among the, the when, hacker uh, criminal community. There's there's like a code of the. the yeah, yeah. They you know they they don't always stick to it, but there is uh, you know so for example when you pay the ransom, they could hack you again through you know the same means, but they normally don't because uh, that's the way they operate. So there's some level of uh, assurance that if they 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 are using a ransomware. They probably won't go after your bank accounts. However, if you don't pay, there are consequences. Uh, and, and those hackers might publish your data, for example. And another thing I, I should have said when I explained the ransomware in general is that the hackers normally sell the data that they collect. So, for example, you tell the ransomware hackers that you're not paying up. They're going to threaten you first that they'll publish the records that they've got in their hands. For example, if you're a health system, a regional health system, all the health records of your patients will be in their hands. They would have uh, copied them before they uh, encrypted your files. They're going to release those either publicly or they might sell them in the dark web and make money that way. So there's there's different things that the hackers do. And if, if you're hacked, your data is gonna be insecure. So you might lose your privacy as a result of the hack. I like that you say that they have to rent the ransomware. So here I am in my head thinking, what do I just Google? How do I get ransomware? No, I'm kidding. I'm sure that's not how it's done. There's probably some sort of collective yeah, that we. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a place called the dark web, yeah. and you. I could, don't have the key. Know, I don't they advise that you, <laughs> <laughs> I don't advise that you ask, you know, go into the dark web. But if you do, you can. You know, there's many, many things, including ransomware, that you can rent. You can. Uh, buy a range of things. You can buy weapons there, drugs, Ooh. everything is available there and they deliver it to you. It's it's organized crime in the virtual world. 
And it's interesting, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a former student of mine came on and talked about cryptocurrency and tried to explain Bitcoin to us. And everything that I'm seeing is it's not as though you're paying these these you know conglomerates in dollars, you're paying them in cryptocurrency, right? So they're not tracing yes. this. Yes, exactly, exactly. So they're not traceable. And the ransom paid is in cryptocurrency. Now, I did get some statistics from a couple of different sites. And one of the things I do, uh, Hossein, is um, on Tuesday before I publish the podcast, I'll put any of the data I get up on my blog because I'm not going to show charts, obviously, in an audio podcast. So I do have some pieces of information just to share because the podcast is called Data Doyen. So in by 2021, it's expected that uh, ransomware will have cost worldwide about $20 billion collectively. The average cost in 2020 was about 8,100 is the information I have. Uh, let's see, some of the industries, I mean, pretty much every industry is at risk. There's no industry that isn't. And a lot of it is like the government and manufacturing and construction utilities are a big deal as, we, as we've recently seen too. Um, where are the attacks coming from? I mean, we always hear, oh, everybody, everything's coming from Russia. And I don't know how true that is. I imagine some is, but where, where are these attacks coming from or do we not know? They disguise themselves, obviously. And from the signature of the attacks, we can tell who they might be coming from. So the IP addresses of the hackers are not uh, true IP addresses. They're faked uh, IP addresses. So you can't tell where they are from analyzing the IP address of where the attack is being launched. But from the signatures of the hackers, we can tell uh, where they might be from, or they might be named hackers, uh, like the Conti Group, which uh, hacks uh, health systems in different countries. They're known, they're based in Russia, uh, they claim to uh, not have any political motives. They're just looking for money. And they also advertise themselves as being a service to humanity because they take money from the rich and they give to charities. I mean, it's, it's so funny the way these things uh, are being advertised. So, you know, it's, it's a whole world that... Uh, exist out there in the virtual world. And, and one of the things, that, Pauline, that is fascinating is that we have been living in the real world. And a virtual world has been created, which is no smaller than our real world. We've got a, a police force, we've got armies in the real world, we've got uh, red lights, green lights, you know, rules, regulations. In the virtual world, we do have some of those. For example, some countries like China have cyber armies, but uh, we haven't managed to catch up with the real world. So criminals and people with bad intentions, which could be governments. So, so we've, we've got a virtual world that hasn't been built the way it should be and we haven't invested in it it's just been created and has grown out of proportion and and a lot of problems have occurred uh, you know we need the, the same type of a police force that we have we, in the virtual world so that we, people can't take advantage of it 
But even if you do that, where do you make your arrests? How do you find the people that commit the crimes? So it's more difficult than the real world to build. But eventually, I'm hoping that we will build that real world as a safe place for us to use, because we're using the internet more and more these days. And, and we do need to invest in that virtual environment that all of us spend a lot of our time daily in. Well, I have to say, I was the victim of two phishing scams uh, on campus, and I'll tell you why. First of all, the one came through and it said, I think if I clicked something, I was going to win donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. So, I mean, come on, donuts. That's and I clicked, you, man. that is, they, they know you. <laughs> they this one was actually, yeah, this one was creepy. We had just come from a meeting with my boss and he said, I'm going to be sending you an email with this attachment, whatever the attachment was. And I'm not kidding. I got back to my office and about one minute later, it looked like an email from him with an attachment. I thought, oh, okay, here it is. And I clicked and it, it shut down all my email. I wasn't getting any emails, which in retrospect, I should have been okay with because not getting emails is not so bad, <laughs> but it was just really, I thought was someone sitting in the room listening to this meeting, knowing he was going to send me an email and then I just clicked on the attachment. And now of course, looking at it in retrospect, it was not the correct email address, but I just saw his name and thought, oh, here's the email he was sending. I just thought that was weird. I don't know. That creeped me out a little bit too much. I don't know if that was just coincidental or if they really are watching us, Hossein. Are they yeah, really yeah, they are. I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, that's that's how they do, you know, their attacks. So, for example, uh, the hack, say, in the health system of New Zealand, I'm sure someone will have received an email from the hacker saying, you know, you won this award, or, you know, sometimes they use other means, you know, they, they use social engineering, this is called social engineering, to deceive people. So you might receive an email from a university, let's say you're a professor, uh, we're considering your promotion and you've just applied for promotion. Click on this link to see the list of documents you need to provide. Or we're considering increasing your salary and you know, you're waiting and wanting this to happen. Uh, you know, just click on this link and we'll, so you know, that's, that's how they get in. Uh, they have to get in. So hackers can't hack you unless they can get into your system. So social engineering is uh, really important for hackers. And I'll tell you a while back, uh, I can't tell you what type of an institution or uh, the name of the organization that we did this exercise with, but we had a group of three people we got them to check the preparedness of a financial institution. And what we did was uh, what we called reconnaissance. We gathered information about bank employees or you know, a, that financial institution's employees uh, so that we knew them so well. We knew who their friends were, we knew you know, their habits, all of that. And we sent these three people to that institution to ask questions. And uh, they were provided with the details of, financial details of that institution's customers by 56% of the employees of the institution. So 56% wow. of the employees of a financial institution 
we were able to deceive them into giving information to us about their customers. So social engineering can be very effective. And the only way to get around it is by training. And most organizations, unfortunately, don't invest in training. So, you know, as a person, you should really understand what social engineering is and what methods they might use and be suspicious of an email uh, or a text from anyone that you don't know and has a link and asks you to click on a link or has an attachment and asks you to download that attachment because clicking on that link means you are giving permission for the badware to be downloaded. Downloading, let's say a PDF, which is what is normally used, there is a bit of uh, badware attached to that uh, PDF that is downloaded when you download the PDF, and and that's that's it. They've got access to your computer. So it's not just the donuts that I was offered. That, by the way, I never got. Yeah, wow. The fact it scares me, and I, I appreciate that you mentioned the training. It does scare me that you were able to essentially infiltrate this organization and get, as you said, fifty-six percent of the folks to just give up information. Uh, I know that, you know, a couple organizations that I work with, they, they do have trainings and they do send information around like, please be careful, make sure, like these are things that you should be looking for. Don't click on attachments unless you know who it is. Double check the address, you know, different things. But wow, this is, this is incredible. <laughs> I also like what you were talking about in terms of the two worlds. So our real world that we're all very much used to, and then you've got this virtual world that mimics the real world, we're all living in it. And that it's not, we're not catching up with that, that we're still focused on the way we do things in the real world, instead of focused on, we've got to figure out how to make this happen in the virtual world so that we are all safe. And that no actually, one's- I was just thinking about that too. And, and uh, so the, the training to protect people, does that include like actual software, like uh, a virtual equivalent to like, you know, security systems that secure your data? Or is it more like street smarts where, you know, you don't answer phone calls from people you don't know, or if you don't recognize, you know, don't, don't take candy from strangers, don't take links from strangers or uh, software? Yeah, it, it's the latter. Uh, you know, it's it's psychology that hackers use uh, to deceive people. So, so that type of training, training around social engineering, and you know, there are things that you sh definitely shouldn't do. Try not to click on any link. But sometimes they're so deceptive. I remember a case where. Uh, one of the universities was hacked and I was asked to help with the resolution because I knew them, they knew me and we, you know, we joined, we formed a team. There was an email that was sent out to faculties, you know, and, and the university was having financial difficulties at that time saying, you know, as you know, we have financial difficulties. We made the hard decision to uh, make, some, make some people redundant. And attached is a list of those who have been redundant. Hopefully you've, you're not one of them. If you are, there's counseling service available, this and that. So you immediately click on the link to see if your name is uh, in there. 
And so, so they use really, or, or you've been traveling and that's why your digital footprint is very important. Don't leave a big digital footprint. Make sure on your social media, you have your settings such that uh, things are not public because there are tools, you know, I, I could gather more information about you that you even are aware that uh, is out there, where you've been, who your friends are, you know, what your habits are. So there is software that you can pay for that uh, collects that kind of information on a person. You can put, type in the name of the person. That's what we did uh, in New York when we did that exercise. We gather information about the people that are our targets. Obviously we did that with permission. It was an exercise to tighten and harden their systems, but hackers do the same thing. They find out a lot of information about you. So be careful with your social media, be careful what you leave behind. Uh, I've, you know, I've heard of cases where burglars went into houses and they checked the Facebook of, you know, the owners of those Facebook pages and they knew they were at a party or not at home, traveling, where they were, how long it would take them to get home. <laughs> and so it made the job of the burglars easy. So, so you, you need to be careful with your footprint. You need to be careful with your uh, social media settings and be careful with uh, what you receive from someone you don't know. It's interesting you say that because I remember they used to say, and I think they, I'm sure they still do this, that, you know, be careful when you have an obituary listed, we know when you're not going to be home because you're going to be, if it's a family member who's died, I mean, how terrible is this to prey on a family where you've just lost a family member? But I remember when my dad died, we had to have security just because we didn't want someone to rob the house because it was in the paper and people knew and they could visit or they could come and rob us. So now you've got the same situation. I actually, I teach a, uh, an undergraduate and graduate research class and I often do an exercise. I'll go into the class on the first day and I'll sort of go around the room and give a little tidbit of information about each person in the room just because ahead of class, I went to people's social media and they're always surprised. And I say, it's public. Like you just put this all out there. I could analyze you and tell you more about yourself than you probably know yourself. So you're giving me permission, essentially, if it's public. I'm not hacking you. I, I wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah, yeah. So yes, it, be very careful. I don't tend to, I'll usually publish, if I publish vacation pictures, it's after I get home. So I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, it's, Smart people are careful with their uh, social media posts. And uh, I would uh, recommend to everyone to be careful with their settings. So, you know, there's no need to make your pages uh, public unless you're a public figure. And then you have to be careful with what you put out there so that it's not exploited. And it's not just the hackers, like you said, very rightly, it's not just the hackers who might be interested in your information. An employer could do the same. You know, so if you get, if you do things that are not appropriate and you post them on the media, like, you know, when you're drunk or uh, any other situation and you post that, you make it public, then your employer or your future employer might uh, be interested in that and, and 
search for it. So, you know, our, our young generation should be careful with the footprint, the digital footprint they leave on the internet. You know, even well, parents it, might be interested in what you do. Parents probably don't want to see that. They don't want to see what's going on in the kids. Life. I actually, and we can't even say young people. I remember there was a woman I worked with who was claiming she couldn't come to a meeting because she was injured or she'd gotten into, I forget what it was. And then she's posting pictures from Cancun or something on her Facebook. And I thought, oh, so you're not really hospitalized because that doesn't look like any That's hospital just, I've ever been in. Sounds like a rookie mistake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that was someone I mean she was older than me I mean so she wasn't a young person but I do try and encourage encourage students so here's my here's our public service announcement coming from Dana Doyen watch what you put out on social media I can't stress that enough because when I'm looking at folks the first thing I do is google you and then I'll go on LinkedIn or then I'll go on the different social media outlets and I want to see what you're posting and I expect you to have fun as a student, but I don't want to see you passed out on a bar doing God only knows why. Like that's not something anyone needs to see. So if you want to do that, don't promote it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or keep your social media uh, settings mm -hmm. private so that... This is, this I mean, is making me think about you, reconsidering my settings and being private yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> Look, you could do all of this. I mean, you could have a professor like Pauline who, you know, gives you those hints in class. And I think all professors should do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's one of the missions of the university to have an impact on the communities, uh, on the societies. Thank you again to all of our listeners. Tune in next week for part two of Ransomware and Cybersecurity with Dr. Hossein Sarafzadeh. This has been a production of Ratchet Boy Records, and we will see you next week.